It's pretty safe to say there are gay men in the pro peloton. The pace line asks, why has no one come out? It's just simply not a big deal anymore to say, hey, this is who I am and this is how I am. People are only secretive when they feel like they have to be. We also check on a new mountain bike race in Cuba. Cyclists should be prepared for uh, the mud and also the humidity. It's very humid in Cuba uh, in December, but that's part of the fun and that's part of the, uh, the, the excitement, you know? Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. What's up, followers of this fine show? Thanks for grabbing us, streaming us, liking us, iTunesing us. And thanks for not blocking us because I understand <laughs> there was some type of an attempt to sabotage one of our Twitter accounts. But by all accounts, it was unsuccessful. So far. Yeah, so far. Fatty at FatCyclist.com. Your election year Donald Trump tactics to disrupt my social media access. Wrong. Have been unsuccessful. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I, so I went. I, I tried I, to see if people were actually blocking me, and uh, I, I guess the best way to do that is to check your new followers or the followers since this attempt to have me block has been done, and you look at their accounts and see if you can follow them. Right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. It's probably just not worth doing, no. to be honest. <laughs> I don't care. And I'm I couldn't just not even get sufficiently Lan- paranoid. I couldn't get Lance to block me. That's what I really wanted. I wanted Armstrong to block me. And he I, didn't. I'm sure we could write a couple tweets for you that would get uh, it accomplished. <laughs> he didn't come out to play. Now, Patrick Brady of uh, redkiteprayer.com, uh, you're still tweeting, right, Patrick? No sabotage on your end. <laughs> I'm still tweeting. Good. I wouldn't know because I've blocked Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad move. Uh, <laughs> Fatty, I did want to say, um, your little tip on wetting the fingertip of a glove prior to swiping a phone screen, that yeah. stuff works, man. I mean, uh, more, and more than just swipes, too. I got my camera to work. I was able to send a text. Not bad. Not bad advice there, Fatty. Yeah. You uh, lick the tip of your, glo- of your glove, and you have full access to your capacitive uh, touch screen until the glove dries out. Yeah, it's, it's a very handy tip. Really? You, you have any more glove tips? Um, let's talk about gloves. Uh, okay. It, it, it is the most uh, ignored touch point of the bike, right? I mean, we th- we obsess endlessly about shoes, um, our saddles, our chamois, you know, all the other places. But people don't – I mean, people just sort of think of gloves almost as an afterthought. Do you guys even wear gloves? Sometimes. Uh, actually, most of the time, but not always. I, I can do a ride without gloves. I, only road rides. Huh. If I'm on a mountain bike, I definitely have gloves on. Okay. Yeah, ditto for that. I On road rides, training rides, no gloves. In a race on the road, I do wear gloves because the chances of crashing seem to go up then. And then mountain bike riding, all, almost all, yeah, always wear gloves. Huh. See, I wear full finger gloves 100% of the tra- time every ride, no matter what the temperature. In fact, as heat goes up, I am even more careful about gloves. I don't know about you guys. I I sweat profusely uh, when I ride. And, you know, water sweat runs down my arms onto my hands 
if I'm not wearing gloves, my honestly, my grip gets a little bit, I don't know, uncomfortable, slippery. I tend to get blisters more often. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of full fingered gloves. Uh, I don't even own a pair of fingerless gloves. So maybe that's where the the finger licking tip came from. But <laughs> okay, um, what Wait. what kind what what kind of gloves do you guys wear? What's your favorite glove? Um, for short finger Asos, um, because it's a closureless glove and it has some real terry cloth on it to help mm. uh, absorb moisture. Uh, to me, it's kind of the perfect glove, and it's also very thin padding. I kind of wish they did a completely paddingless, uh, padded, paddingless, yeah, padding, Paddington uh, <laughs> version of the glove. But yeah, it's it's not very padded, and so I like that. Uh, it allows uh, great grip. And then mountain bike gloves, um, I'm all over the map with that. It kind of depends on what mountain bike I'm on, if it's got a good grip on it or not. If it's got a thick grip, I can go with a thin glove. But if it's got a really small grip on it, my hands get beat up, and so I tend to want some padding in the gloves. Um, Jira has made some that I've liked. Um, who else? Uh, Kali has some that I really adore. So those are some uh, of my faves. How about yeah, you, Michael? For- uh, for me, um, on the mountain bike side of things, I, I like Patrick. I'm all over the map. I have Foxes. I have specialized BG gels. I have, this is for full finger gloves. Of course, I have winter gloves too, sturdier stuff. Um, Patrick, you, you and I met up with Alpine Stars, right? That, am I saying that name mm-hmm. correctly? I uh, mm-hmm. got a pair from them um, that are heavier duty for colder weather, but they had nice padding. They were great. So, I'll kind of throw on just about anything for a mountain bike. Weather can play a role. I mean, I'll look for a mesh top, you know, if it's if it's warmer out. And I just have one pair of fingerless gloves right now that that I use since I don't really use them that often, only for races. And that are my uh, Giordana, 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 working on my Italian EXO EXO hmm. gloves. Um, no strap, no Velcro strap. You pull them right on. The reason why I like them is they have they have held their shape. Um, and they've not, you know, they've not stretched out and gotten baggy and loose anywhere. They're just, they're really good and great, absolutely great heel uh, padding on them. So I can, you know, if I'm, if I'm rambling down some nasty road or, or if there is a fear of crashing, if I do have to put a hand out, I feel like they'll protect me. How about for cold weather? Oh, I have, all, I have neoprene gloves if it rains um, that have, you know, SoCal, so they don't come out that often, but they, they've been used. So, so um, do you put I, those over uh, other gloves, or are those in addition, or are those by themselves? No, the neoprene—they look almost like dive gloves. In fact, no, they—they hmm. they just go right on. Um, they do a nice job, but they make getting in pockets really tricky because the neoprene will grab, you know, the lycra, and it makes it hard to slide your hand in your pocket and get a gel out or food out or whatever you're going for in there. Right. So, so neoprene only comes out when it's really cold and really wet. Um, but yeah. otherwise I have an assortment of, you know, different types of cold weather gloves um to get me by on a frosty day. How about you for cold weather, Patrick? Uh I've I've got some neoprene gloves. I tend to pull those out when it's wet and not otherwise. Uh, I have a two-glove system, a liner with mm-hmm. an outer glove from Asos um, that is almost overkill in every circumstance I've used it. Uh, there was one day in Sacramento a few years ago where it was like, oh, this stuff's the bomb. But most of the time, uh, it's pretty heavy-duty. There's some others I've got. Um, 
let's see, uh, you know, a pair from Alpine Stars that's pretty good. They still offer uh, decent dexterity. And then years ago, I got in the habit of using uh, some uh, micro fleece uh, glove liners along with a standard fingerless glove uh, on just kind of ordinary cold days. And that's a system that I still like using. Hmm. Interesting. So here's what I've been using. And I have got things to where I am really a big fan of my glove choices. For cold weather, I'm going to start there since we, you know, since that's where we most recently were. I love the Giro Pivot. Uh, I don't know if you guys are super familiar with that, but it is a what they're calling a waterproof glove. Of course, it can't be waterproof because your hands are going in there. Water will get through that way. But it is my uh, my sense of it is it's great for keeping rain out and for keeping splash off and it's great for keeping a cold wind or snow out so the giro pivot 70 bucks i love those gloves giro is doing some fantastic work there for warm weather what i've been riding uh goes in one of two ways for road riding and for my single speed mountain biking i do not like any pad at all and the specialized lowdown is a super cheap glove. Uh, I think it's like 20 bucks uh, that you just, you pull on, it's finger, it's full finger. All of my gloves are full fingered. I think fingerless gloves are silly. Um, and we can go into, <laughs> we can go into why, but maybe that's a whole segment of its own. Let's just, I prefer full fingered. Um, and Joe Lindsay agrees with me. I think that's worth pointing out. Um, <laughs> we tweeted back and forth on that. It was, it was nice to have someone, uh, have someone of Joe Lindsay's caliber have my back on that. He but. was doing that even back in 96. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, so yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I agree. But, uh, so the lowdown is a fantastic glove for, um, f- for single speeding because when I am really rowing the bars, I don't like to have a glove get in my way because it pinches more than it pads. Hmm. Um, and on the road bike, I just don't need any padding, right? Because that's what the bar tape is for. Um, uh, when I am doing regular mountain biking, I really love the specialized ridge. I've been a fan of it for a long time, but its most recent iteration, the 2016 and I guess 2017 iteration, they have a lighter back, uh, a lighter backing. And the BG padding, for me, really works. It has really reduced the amount of hand numbing that I Agreed. otherwise tend to get. Agreed. Yep. It's just, it, it's a really well thought out, um, well designed, comfortable, reasonably priced glove. I have, um, I, I have at least three pair of it just so that I can keep, you know, always have a pair that is clean going on. And one more tip. One, one more glove-related tip while I am doing uh, glove tips. Washing gloves. Um, I don't even know how many times I've had a glove orphan when I know for <laughs> sure that I've put both gloves in the washing machine and only to discover that the reason it orphaned is because the Velcro closure part attached itself to the inside of a jersey yes. or some other clothing item. You can Velcro the two gloves together, you know, the the hook part to the other gloves, um, soft part, I forget what it's called, and, and vice versa. So the, basically the two gloves are attached together 
before you put them in the washing machine. If they're attached to each other, they're not going, they're going to stay together and they're not going to wind up attached to something else. So clever, keep your gloves together. Don't wind up with an orphan only to find uh, the, the other glove, you know, two days later or three months later, the next time you use some jersey that you haven't worn in a while. Also, Clearly. sweater uh, bags. Sweater bags. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, do not own a sweater bag. <laughs> well, uh, that's just another way to, to deal with but it. But that's oh. a good way to deal. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I know what you mean. It just took me a minute. But yeah, yeah. Put it in a bag. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly, Fatty, gloves are a big part of uh, of your comfort on the bike. I mean, oh, some yeah. people need the right socks and some people need the right helmet. <clears throat> you know, there's uh, all all manner of reasons that make you feel good on a bike. And if a good pair of gloves does it for you, by all means, invest heavily. It matters. It matters to me. Mm-hmm. Patrick, big weekend in Sonoma County with uh, what I'm calling now LGF. Trying to be very hip here, LGF. I don't think that's very. Is hip. that yeah, what people that call it now, Patrick? No, that doesn't trans- translate. When you said it to me, I had no idea what you were talking about for about 15 seconds. Uh huh. You yeah. want to you want to translate or should I? Well, just uh, how about Levi's Grand Fondo or just Levi's? Does that work? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does get shortened to just Levi's among the locals. Okay. Yeah. How was LGF Levi's Grand Fondo Levi's? <laughs> well, that flies dead now. Get out all your hammers, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, it was a really great weekend, as always. I mean, part of it is, you know, fall is as good as Sonoma gets. Um that didn't sound quite right. Fall is absolutely the best time to be in Sonoma County. Uh, it just doesn't get better than this. And this is just as fall's hitting. So the mornings are cool, but, you know, the day warms up nicely and the afternoons are just gorgeous. And I got to bump into a bunch of uh, friends from Southern California, some industry friends, uh, some, some folks I know from SRAM came out from Chicago um, and you know, uniformly people were like, gosh, this is amazing. And, uh, it's a, it's a weekend that, you know, really transcends, you know, kind of any one thing. It's more than just a ride. Uh, it's more than just a charity event. Uh, it's more than just pretty weather. Um, so it's, it's a pretty special time. And I mean, I, I've tried to be honest about this, that repeated trips up here for the event, are what caused my wife and I to decide, um, my wife and me, uh, to decide that, you know, yeah, we should just go ahead and move. Um, Santa Rosa should come with a warning. (laughs) Warning, repeated visits may cause relocation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, the funny thing is that uh, it only gets more dangerous as you go north to like, you know, Healdsburg or Geyserville. Um, you know, you spend too much time there, and you you may just like not ever turn your car on again. So back to the ride. You did the Panzer. Yeah. I did the Panzer. Wow, yeah. that's the beast of the beast. Uh, yeah. Uh, so about 117 miles. Um, uh, just under 10,000 feet of climbing. Two dirt road climbs. I did the version where you do the climb up Willow Creek, which is used in the grasshoppers pretty right. frequently. Uh, to me, I'd rather climb Willow Creek 
any day of the week instead of Coleman Valley. Agreed. Uh, and it's <laughs> really? it's not yeah. Coleman. Oh well. Yeah, no. no. I mean, no. it's not bad. And it's funny because I don't dislike the climb of Coleman itself. It's that once you're up on top uh, of it, there are all those rollers and invariably some wind to deal with. And it's just not big enjoy- enjoyable to me. So I really uh, I really dig uh, Willow Creek. Uh, I love getting to know that climb better and better all the time. Had a lot of fun there. Um, it's... You know, it's just a, it's a really cool course. Um, the funny thing is, as has happened to me on at least three occasions at the Fondo, my legs didn't show up for about the first 65 miles. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just, I, I, we made that turn onto uh, the road with the kind of the first really good hill where uh, everybody at the front says, you know, game on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like the Millennium Falcon in Empire Strikes Back, where the there was the jump to hyperspace, and then the thing went. Brruh, 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 brruh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, that was my legs, and so I I didn't start climbing when I needed to start climbing, and I I essentially soft pedaled the entire climb of King Ridge uh, and all the ensuing rollers. It was a, a little bit demoralizing, you know you cycling can be kind of existential and so you know you get out there and you're starting to wonder do i not have the fitness i thought i had uh is my whole day gonna be like this uh, you know should i should i've been doing longer miles you know am i really not ready for this oh my gosh i went through it all uh but then finally one of the rises just before the descent down to highway one suddenly everything was online again and i uh, could climb and the, hy- the hyperdrive got fit chewy fixed the hyperdrive Yes. Uh, and what's really funny is looking at the Strava file, uh, basically from Highway 1 all the way back to Santa Rosa, I was uh, setting PRs and, you know, seconds and thirds on all these different sections. Not on Willow Creek, but uh, lots of different places where it counted. And places where, like previously, my PR had been set with a group, I managed to reset the PR all by myself. Um, so that was nice, but I mean, it's such a pretty day that even if your legs suck, it's, it's still just such a good time. You know, this is a ride that everybody ought to give a try to at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to examine the results page and I'm sure they're still working on them. How did you get a chance to see how fast the fastest guys were? I saw a 542 on the Panzer route. Now that seems a little crazy no no uh someone to someone to do two hours faster than me especially if he had some help because i rode it in basically eight hours flat and that's with all my stops uh you were 750 you're just below eight i think i saw your name in there okay by the way there was another patrick brady on the route on this on the grand route really yeah dude i should have bought him a beer (laughs) <laughs> and, and there were actually three Bradys in in the uh, Levi's Grand Fondo. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw a 542, a youngster, 20 to 24-year-old. He rode out of Mike's Bikes. I didn't write his name down, but <laughs> 542 <laughs> on the Panzer route. That's 117 miles, 10,000 feet. 542. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Hello. Um, yeah, th- no, that's really quick. But, I mean, you know, if you're if you're climbing at, you know, 18 to 20 miles an hour, Sure. 
you know? When I was a three, I could probably have knocked this thing out in, you know, 630, 645, Mm -hmm. you know? That's happening. That is happening. I mean, and how many, do you know how many routes now there are available? There seems to be like, (laughs) it must be like 10 routes now. It can't actually be counted with conventional mathematics. (laughs) (laughs) But there really is something for everyone there. That's kind of the spirit of the event. Yeah, I, I believe there are eight official routes at this point. You know, there okay. are two versions of the Panzer. There are at least two versions of the Grand. You know, there are a couple versions of the Medio. There's the Piccolo, you know. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of different opportunities out there. Um, I'm waiting for the day where they start including, you know, more dirt, including, you know, dirt descents. That's when it's going to be on. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a great event. Uh, I've done it once myself. A lot of Fatty, have you been there? Uh, I think I've done it three, maybe four times. Only missed it this year because I had a new job and responsibilities. It's really one of my very favorite events to do, if at all possible, every year. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic of an event. Plus, I do some great fundraising uh, for the King Ridge Foundation, which is for at-risk youth. Um I, I think that stems from the uh, Forget Me Not Farm that uh, that the that Levi has been involved in for a long time, um, but now is doing more with. And they are they're doing a lot. It is really cool to see um, a, a successful event like this uh, that doesn't need to do uh, charitable fundraising in order to succeed. Do it anyway. Um, yeah, hats off to the Bike Monkey guys and to the Light Pimers for the amazing stuff that they're doing. Yep, very cool. Levi's Grand Fondo on their website. They already have next year's date up. Um, and so it, it, it's never too early to start thinking about getting ready for that event, signing up. Uh, of course, if you want to ride the Panzer, Patrick, you have to you have to do the Grand first in a certain amount of time, right? Yeah, you have to qualify. I met a guy doing the Panzer who somehow managed to get in, get in without having previously done the Grand. I I don't know what happened there, but yeah, you've got to ride. I believe it's a a, um, a sub eight hour uh, Grand to be yeah. able to do uh, the Panzer, and uh, it's funny because you know I hadn't really been previously all that concerned with my times at the Fondo. You know, I would ride it, I'd ride it quick, you know, but it's not like I was riding for time. So when they first announced that, (laughs) I started going back through all the results to say, oh, did I really qualify? Am I actually fast enough to do this? Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, you know, the answer is yes. And I'm I'm pleased to have done, you know, sub eight hours this year after 60, 65 miles of being essentially shut down. Yeah. Okay. Well, get ready for Levi's Grand Fondo 2017 then, folks. Um, again, it's it's all of it. If you want to bite off a big one, the Grand Route just in itself is a lot. And you can always shoot for the Panzer, too. Uh, future rides. Levi's we had to all three go. We could have a pace line, pace line. Mm-hmm. As long as we do Willow Creek. Cool. Sure. I'll do whatever. Yeah. I love Willow Creek. Yeah. Yeah. We can all draft off my wife. Ah. <laughs> there you I go. like that. <laughs> Uh, Coming up, folks, we try to answer a question we put out on social media, and we don't know if there's a good answer as to why there are no openly gay men in the pro peloton. That's up next on The Pace Line. The Grand Fauna is something I'm very proud of. 
I never felt so good about an idea before. Line, the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com. Patrick Brady is here from redkiteprayer.com. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. Uh, Duke is Duke in the house, fatty. Duke What's is Duke? in the house. Yeah, I, I'm trying very quietly to play just a little bit of fetch so that he doesn't go on a barking rampage. Because uh, the mailman <laughs> is due, isn't he? Yeah, the UPS guy could come any minute now, and wow. So, <laughs> uh, last last show, Duke made his pace line debut with a wonderful bark, alerting everyone to the fact that somebody was at the front door at Fatty's place. So, <laughs> emergency. Yeah, that's right. Big dog. We like big dogs. Oh yeah, he is a big one. Um, pro Tour stuff, guys. Uh, Esteban Chavez of Orca Green Edge won the final Pro Tour event of the season, Lombardia. Patrick, you spent some time in that region recently, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Boy, what, what riding? I mean, beyond gorgeous, but then you have choices. You can either be, you know, six feet from a lake and riding flat, or you can be going up or down. And uh, it's it's sort of unceremonious. Um, you know, none of this like easy foothill stuff like you get in the San Fernando Valley or Pasadena. It's straight to up and uh, seriously so at that point, which I guess is part of why it's so pretty. Yeah. Uh, the area around Lake Como, uh, Como that is absolutely fabulous. Anyhow, Chavez got the win despite being short a teammate. Rob Power missed the start of the race. He said he went to the signing with his teammates then went back to the bus Lost track of time. When he came out, the race was gone, and the streets were filling up with cars and fans. And Power <laughs> gave chase, but the bunch had blitzed away from Como. And Power did make the most of the day, though. He went on a training ride, then rode to the finish to see his teammate, teammate that is, bag the win. Here's the kicker. This was supposed to be, Lombardia, was supposed to be Power's first world tour race. And he missed it. <laughs> Okay, guys, ever miss a start of a race or otherwise? Not Daddy. on a bike, but I have heard a starting gun go off from within the confines of a nearby porta potty. Oh, <laughs> I, uh, while my uh, now wife and I were dating, um, I was taking her to the Death Valley Trail Marathon. Um, and. You know, because she's a runner, and I had done this before. I thought it would be a great way to impress her. Got, you know, nervous poops uh, <laughs> right before the race. Dashed into the nearby porta potty And while I'm sitting there, I hear the race organizer, not using a literal gun, but just doing the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, bang, uh, go, or whatever. And... I was still sitting there. I wasn't even done. It's not like I was pulling up my shorts. I just heard it happen, and I was thinking, well, I assume she is gone. I'm not going to see her. I can barely keep up with her anyway. And, you know, <laughs> so I, I finished, and I come out, and she is standing there just kind of looking <laughs> amused at me. Tapping her foot? Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, it was an opportunity to see what it's like to start a race from 
the very back of the field. Right. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, with, you know, since we were riding or not riding, running through um, a, 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 a dead sea bottom and, you know, the, it, it's worth seeing, um, it's worth seeing the salt flats that are in Death Valley just for this, but it goes off forever. We're just running through this and, you know, off a mile ahead are the rest of the runners. And little by little, we caught some of the slower people. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't think my goal of impressing her um, <laughs> succeeded that particular day. Patrick, mm. ever been caught out by, by a starting gun? Yeah, uh, at the West Point stage race, a collegiate race uh, back in the 1990s, early 90s, my gosh, uh, I was uh, about to do the time trial, which was a a one and three quarter mile uphill time trial, gained 750 feet of elevation in that span. And like the first 150 meters or so was dead flat. And uh, we'd seen the start order, and I was heading back uh, to my car to do something else before starting. And all of a sudden, they changed the start order, and I've got teammates yelling at me, Patrick, you're starting, you're starting, Patrick, Patrick. And so I go racing up there, and there's nobody in the starter spot. And so I just flew through and went on my way. I was, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 seconds late. Not a big deal. I wasn't going to win that one anyway. Um, and true to form, I did not win. But mm. it, it wasn't a big deal. But yeah, I have had that Pedro Delgado moment of, you're kidding. Right. I technically missed the start at Sea Otter cross-country mountain bike race. I mean, it, barely, Te- though. I, technically? I rolled up to the line, and I saw a group about um, 200 meters up the track. You actually start on Laguna Seca Raceway. And I yelled at the starter, is that the 45 to 49 group or whatever uh, category I was racing? They said, yep, that's them right up there. So I had to take off and, wow. and bridge up to catch them. But, uh, and I don't even remember what my lame excuse was. Something about not understanding the start times very well or <laughs> something really stupid, you know. So, yep, we've all, we've all had our Rob Power moment, I guess. Huh. You think Just, they'll start calling him Pedro after this? In I, honor of the I 1989 tour? Seems like a good guy. I don't think he deserves too much grief over this. And he made, look, he went on a train. He tried to make the most of it. And his teammate won in the end. He didn't cost cost Orica anything. Good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Orica Green Edge, Sam Bewley, who was on that team, has become the latest rider to warn of the dangers uh, of introducing disc brakes into pro cycling by uploading a picture of an injury he suffered the Kiwi took to Twitter to show his followers a pretty nasty one, reportedly caused by landing on a hot disc brake, which left him with a wound to his upper arm. His tweet went like this. This is what happens when a hot disc brake lands on skin. Imagine a bunch crash on the road with multiple hot rotors, he wrote. Now, the UCI is still holding disc brakes hostage while the riders figure out whether they are ready to move forward. Patrick? Uh, at Interbike, we spoke with someone involved in the process representing the manu- manufacturer's side on this. Yeah, Stephen Fairchild. Uh, he's head of road product development for Fuji. A uh, very smart guy who's been at it for a very, very long time. And so he's part of the working group that the UCI has uh, for incorporating discs into the Pro Peloton. And, uh, you know, they're working on it. Uh, there wasn't a lot that he could say. Some of it still comes down to the riders' union and 
you know, what they have to say about this seems to be the only thing that the writers union has ever been unanimous about. Um, but you know, I, the, the, uh, the, the disc break burn thing, I mean, how many crashes actually occur while the group has been breaking hard? I don't, I don't think that happens much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like, you know, most pileups, it's when, you know, the guys are actually going hard. They're pedaling, not braking. Right. So this is another one of those where when I saw that, I was like, ah, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't see that as being, you know, a big problem. Yeah, because the, the rotors are cool and, unless you're on them a lot, unless you've been braking a lot. That's the point you're trying to make there. And so yeah. having a hot rotor singes somebody. Okay, cutting someone, we kind of see that. And maybe that's why now we've got some, some rounded, beveled yeah. rotors that are probably going to be the thing that, that breaks this stalemate here. And, and so the cuts are the things that I think really are being addressed by the manufacturers and the writers union and so forth here. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to round the edges. You know, it's a little bit of extra manufacturing, uh, time, you know, but that's what they're working on. And, uh, you know, a hot rotor, that's just what happens through a lot of braking, but you know, to burn somebody means you've got to have been braking hard for a long time and then go down. And I just can't recall the last time I saw something like that in the pro Peloton. Well, I'm so glad you brought up heat because worlds are in the Middle East. Qatar's <laughs> capital city of Doha uh, is where the world championships will be staged this year. Not that this should come as any surprise, but it's going to be hot there. And the heat could cause a major change to the racing. The UCI says if it has to, the men's road race could be shortened to 150K. That's like a century. That's like shorter than Patrick Road at... Levi's Grand Fondo. Temps Was are that a compliment? Be, no, that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Temps are forecast to be well over 100 degrees. The UCI says water and ice will be supplied to all teams, and it's plans on filling 10,000 water bottles for racers, staff, and whoever is falling over in the desert heat. Finally, in a real stroke of genius... The UCI is putting together a Beat the Heat booklet detailing the effects of heat when racing and how to combat dehydration. Thank you, UCI, for giving us the obvious. Boy. I I love that they're going to actually give out ice. All the French writers won't know what to do with it. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Gosh. Uh, yeah, I, you know, this, this, um, overt effort to make cycling more international, I, you know, I'm, I love it when, you know, you get, you know, riders from other countries joining the Peloton, uh, you know, the African rider, uh, Daniel Teclemino, um, (laughs) you know, I, I love it when the, the Peloton itself becomes more international, um, but going out of your way to take racing to places that have not traditional, traditionally been a part of racing doesn't make as much sense to me. And I know this is, you know, Qatar wanting to put itself on the world map, um, you know, for tourism and other purposes. Um, you know, I just don't want to go to a place where summertime high can be 135. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So look for, look for a little heat stroke. At UCI Worlds this year. Uh, while we're on the topic of the rainbow jersey, and this is going to be a serious one, guys. <clears throat> Maybe the most serious thing we've taken on so far. <clears throat> and that's uh, men in tight shorts, men who shave their legs, f- 
the rainbow jersey, the rainbow flag, these are all symbols that could make a homophobe cry foul. They look at us, they see us in our goofy outfits, in our shaved <laughs> legs, and, uh, you know, homophobia could just run rampant. I, I get that. Uh, Fatty, we started having a discussion just after we finished recording our last episode about men's professional cycling, and none of us could come up with a name of a rider who had come out. Yeah. And we wondered why that is, and we put it to our followers on social media. Yeah. Why are there no openly gay uh, gay men on the pro tour? And some really good uh, substantive uh, replies came out of that, and I want to back it up just a little bit because the reason I was wondering that question and put it to you guys just as we were chatting last week is because uh, someone that I know recently came out to me and, you know, he's a writer and it was, you know, it was not a big deal and it generally just isn't a big deal. And I was asking, I was like, so how about your family? And he's like, oh yeah, they all know. Was it a big deal to tell them? No, it wasn't a big deal. And it just generally isn't anymore. Right. And so if, cyclists are having to be secretive as pro cyclists then there's got to be a reason what why are they having to be secretive when at least in the reality that i exist in it's just simply not a big deal anymore to say hey this is who i am and this is how i am you know there's got people are only secretive when they feel like they have to be when there are consequences if they are not and it worries me, it bothers me that in a sport that I love, that they, that pros feel like they have something to be afraid of. So that's sort of where the question came from. And the, I, I think Kaylee Fretz uh, of Velo, velonews.com, uh, had an interesting uh, reply in social media. I don't know if either of you have that up right now, do you? I think I, uh, I still have it on uh, – it, it was on Facebook that he replied. Basically, yep. he said that there are at least a few that are uh, are known in the Peloton itself who are out within the Peloton, just not publicly. And so that leads me to think that it's not the riders themselves who are a problem, but it has to be something else, somewhere else. In, in Is it the sponsors that they're afraid of, you know – of essentially just declaring or, you know, just being themselves in front of, or is it the fans that they're worried about? Either way, it bothers me that we, that that any aspect of the sport I care about is not uh, able to acknowledge a pretty normal thing within society. I mean, it's not even like, it's not the 60s anymore. This is normal. This is how people are and not something to be hidden or afraid of telling people about. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm completely uh, in line with your thinking. I will say that, yeah, when I saw Kaylee's response, and, you know, we traded a couple of responses back and forth, mm-hmm. it really floored me because my, I'll go, I'll just say my assumption of what the problem was, was backward attitudes within the Peloton itself. Uh, you know, it's been reported that when uh, Johan Jen, uh, the first black rider ever to enter the pro Peloton and ride, uh, well, not the first pr- black pro, but the first black pro to ride the tour, he was uh, uh, riding for Europe car. 
um, had grown up in France, you know, was well indoctrinated into cycling. Uh, you know, he suffered some real racism, some awful comments in the Peloton. Uh, since then, there have been reports that uh, the Eritrean rider I mentioned before, Daniel uh, Teklehaimano and um, uh, Merhawi uh, uh, Kudus, uh, both those guys have had some, we'll call it incidents, where guys have treated them less than charitably. And so yeah. I just figured this it was going to be more backward behavior by farm boys. Um, you know, usually you get the most backward behavior by the, the least educated or, or, you know, the most ignorant uh, people in, in a society. And so I just figured it was, you know, people who hadn't uh, gotten much of an education, hadn't gone off to college, hadn't seen the world. And uh, so when Kaylee said that there are some guys who were known mm. uh, to be gay within the Peloton, that really left me scratching my head. I just can't even make sense of that. Uh, because, I mean, at least here in the U.S., um, as a as a group of sporting fans go... Would there be another sport that would be more welcoming to gay athletes right. than than cycling? I mean, I don't want to put us on a pedestal as like the most accepting there is, but it's like, come on, we're a pretty evolved bunch. Yeah, yeah. And I think it might be worth uh, reading uh, the comments uh, via Twitter. The one particular fan um, mentioned simply because he's coming at it from the gay perspective. Um, in reply to my question, which uh, originally I phrased horribly wrong, um, po- maybe possibly because I just, you know, I was editing for 140 characters, but also just, you know, a regular typo. I forgot to put the word openly in there. And you know, a lot of people were like, well, it's not that there aren't gay men, there aren't openly gay men. And th- of course, that is, that's correct. It, the, it's the openly question. Right, that we're looking at. Sure. But anyway, uh, John Osborne, who has been uh, someone who has replied to a lot of my tweets and has been a real friend of Fatty for years, uh, he replied, uh, gay cycling fan here, I think the close quarters, close quarters nature of cycling, including off-bike, makes it tough. And he continues on. To expand on that, I can imagine people not wanting to room together on the tour, tension in the peloton, etc., but my guess is that it will happen soon as pro ranks fill with younger generation writers to whom it's no big deal. And I think that he's right. I think, though, that it's not, uh, you know, per Kaylee's point, it's not the writers, because they are of the younger generation, who care. I think that it is sponsors. I think that it might be race directors and maybe some of the older generation race fans who are imposing some sort of stigma that the that the racers have to be afraid of and to that i think that it's got to be up to us to make it clear that we won't tolerate intolerance right that this is something that is important to us that we are the most inclusive sport and or we should be the most inclusive sport we'd like to be we want you know? to be yeah I'd, we aspire to i'd be like to see my sport carry that sport. banner exactly if, the, if there's any doubt that a, a gay man is in the pro peloton the blog site the inner ring took a stab at the silence with some math they used the the safe assumption that two percent of men are gay and that's a safe that's a low number mm-hmm. 
the entering calculated that the odds of no gay cyclists in the pro peloton is probably one in 726,000. That's about the same as flipping a coin and having it come up the same side 20 times. So there, I, I could guarantee you there is a gay man in the pro peloton sure. right now, and they're just not saying anything about it. Now, the theories as to why a person wouldn't come out. Here's some of my thoughts on that. First of all, the athletes who we've seen come out in pro sports, Jason Collins in the NBA was probably the most notable. Um, there have been others, though, like Michael Sam. He was in college at the time when he came out, was drafted by the St. Louis Rams of the NFL. Uh, a lot of the folks who we've seen come out come from, uh, usually have college educations. And I'm not saying that you need a college education to be to be tolerant, but by going to college, it does expose you to other lifestyles, other walks of life, types of people. You're more than likely to, to meet a gay person while in, while in school and get mm-hmm. to know them a little bit and understand them. And Patrick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I would guess the number, the percentage of, of college diplomas in the pro peloton is, is on the low side for pro sports. It, well, it's weird because when you, when you look uh, at Europe, yeah, it, it's astoundingly low. Uh, when you come to America, it rises pretty significantly. You know? And so there's a different trajectory for who enters the pro ranks based in, in some large part on where they come from. Right. So you've got probably people, or writers from working class backgrounds who more than likely do not have uh, exposure to different lifestyles vis-a-vis going, to, going on to, to higher education. Secondly, the heart and soul of this sport on a professional level is in Europe, Italy, France, Spain. The dominant religion there is Catholicism, Catholic. Hmm. Every race seems to roll by a number of Catholic churches. And I'm just saying the Catholic church is holding down uh, or rather preventing somebody from coming out in the pro peloton. It's it's just an overlying theme. It's just, you know, one of these things that that the, the writers uh, are exposed to. Some of them come from that background, and certainly it's got to have some type of influence. Uh, it's, it's the old country, for God's sakes, and that's where they do most of their racing, and that's where a lot of these boys come from. Um, they're not they're not accustomed to talking about this type of thing or accept or even accepting this type of thing it goes against their their very way of thinking and even if you have a progressive or somebody who is ready to come out in the pro peloton they're going to be met with with those resistant that type of resistance as as they contemplate that so i think there's a lot of factors at play um, in the pro peloton that might be preventing this from happening and may may mean that that pro cycling may be one of the last sports that, that has somebody who is openly gay. Now, on the mm. women's side, we know there's there's plenty of women who, not plenty, but a number of women who have come out in, in pro cycling. But the men, it's going to be a much different and Again, <laughs> Is it because the stakes are lower for women? Do you think that's it? I mean, oh. it, it, it seems odd that that there would be a gender divide over the... I guess the requirement of secrecy in pro cycling. I mean, that that's just one more way that, that women and men cycling has a, a disjoint in where we should be. Right. Well, just going out on a limb and guessing some, you know, I, my first guess is that, 
you know, the women are just going to be more accepting of it, you know, just flat out, yeah. you know, less phased by it. So there is one thing that I would encourage uh, all Paceline listeners to watch and Google, or maybe we can put this in our show notes, uh, Brian Anderson, professional skateboarder, Vice, um, there's a great video, uh, you know, reserve half an hour to watch it because it's 27 minutes long, um, of him talking about being a gay professional skateboarder and, uh, the reactions of people around him and they were overwhelmingly positive. It's awesome to see, um, and he's a great guy, you know, from just from having seen this, I have never met the guy. But it's great to see that in other sports, in you know skateboarding, I would probably, you know, if I were if I were making a diagram of macho, I would put skateboarding as more macho than pro road <laughs> cycling, right? A and bit. yet, the, yeah, <laughs> not absolutely. a lot of shaved legs in skateboarding, right? No. And, and this is a big, extremely muscular guy who you know tattooed to the hilt, who is perfectly comfortable with his. Uh, you know, with his choices and with being out there. If we can't, you know, if, if cycling it can't be as open as that, then that's something we need to fix. That's my point. Yeah, yeah the cool one of the cool parts of the interview is he says, "Look, skateboarders, they're not my type. I don't even look at them. <laughs> I don't even consider them. They're just not my type." So. If there's some fear <laughs> factor great. going on in the peloton, oh, I don't want to be looked at or stared at or, oh, get over yourself already. You're wearing Lycra. You're shaving your legs. You're running around in your underwear all over Europe. Get over yourself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> really. Uh, well, as we predicted, you know, we it would be very difficult to come up with an answer to this. Um, I, I don't expect there'll be any, there'll be one anytime soon. Um, but it's a good discussion to start and, and get people thinking about this and I think about there, our sport. And I think there is a to-do for every forward-thinking, right-minded cycli- cyclist and cycling fan. And that is be clear about being supportive. Be clear about being tolerant at least and kind and generous and friendly to everyone regardless of their race their orientation, their whatever, that we are, that we aspire to be the most inclusive sport and mm-hmm. the people who love it. Yep. Well, put, yeah, that, this is uh, a really big deal to me. I'd like to see us, you know, really be a new standard bearer in sport. You know, this is a call to action. Yeah. yeah. Come out and ride. <laughs> I like it. Ooh, an awesome slogan by Patrick Brady. Uh, coming up, more social political discussion, sort of. How about a mountain bike stage race in Cuba? We talked to an organizer and also our new segment that involves Patrick and Fatty and myself trolling the internet looking for stuff. Yeah, real in-depth podcast research that no one else does. Only here on the Pace Line. Message to other athletes, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, period, is just be yourself. Be your true, authentic self and... Uh, Never be uh, afraid or ashamed or have any fear to be your true authentic self.
Look, Pace the Line, the podcast on two wheels, fattyafatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. Guys, on the two-year anniversary of President Obama's announcement that diplomatic relations between Cuba and the U.S. were being restored, a mountain bike stage race will take off from Havana, and Americans are invited. It is called the Titan Tropic. This is the second year of the event, and the first time it was at Interbike. I spoke with Natasha Ginocchio of the Titan Tropic Mountain Bike Stage Race about the event and her country, Cuba. Tell me about the Titan Tropic. What are its origins and how did it get to Cuba? Um, so the Titan brand has been around for 12 years already. We started 12 years ago when a bunch of guys decided that the Moroccan desert was a, a fun place to go camping and uh, cycling. So they put it together and last year we decided that we needed a different version and so we went to Cuba and created the Titan Tropic uh, Cuba. By guys. And now that it's in Cuba, mm-hmm. which is great because thanks to President Obama and other leaders, mm-hmm. Americans can now visit Cuba. Right. So that opens up a whole new thing for the race, right? And now Americans right. are right. welcome to race. Right. So last year, we um, in our first edition, we had more than 150 Um, participants, mostly from the European countries. Uh, We have Spain, Italy, France, we have Canadians, uh, a lot of people from Central and South America. As a matter of fact, our winner is from Colombia, but only one American. Uh, This year is the first year that because we have all the permits in place and everything has opened up, we're able to promote it in the U.S. and really try to say that Americans are welcome, and we really want Americans to come and participate in joining the Titan Tropic Cuba. If somebody thinks they're up for this race, what would you tell them about it? What should they be prepared for when riding and racing off-road in Cuba? They. So I'm going to tell you. First of all, you have to you have to have um, you have to have. Uh, a, a great spirit. Like there's a there's a, a reason why we named the Titan for everything. You gotta be that Titan. You have to have, um, you have to have that passion to finish each one of the stages. So first of all, the races this year is from December 3rd to the 8th. Uh, it starts in Havana and and then it goes on uh, to five different stages. We go deep into the mountains and rivers in Cuba. We go to the um, off the beaten path uh, roads and we finish the fifth stage in Cayo Jutia, which is a virgin key. Um, Nobody lives there, it is totally virgin. And then people go back to Havana. So what do they need? They just need, I mean, to be able, if you're an amateur or a professional cyclist, you can compete. You really can go as fast or as slow as you can, as long as you finish uh, each one of the stages. It's, it's 450 miles in five, six days, so it's not too bad. It's right there in the middle where it's doable. 
It's a tropical climate. What's it like there in December? Is it going to be mud? Is it, there a lot of climbing? A lot, a lot of mud. I mean, typically um, Cuba doesn't have very um, high elevations, but, but cyclists should be prepared for uh, the mud and also the humidity. It's very humid in Cuba uh, in December, but that's part of the fun and that's part of the uh, the, the excitement, you know. Um, I, I know you've gotten this a lot, and a lot of people have said it looks like La Ruta in, uh -huh. in, in Costa, Costa Rica, Rica. Right. Um, but I'm getting the feeling maybe not quite that hard. I could spread out, the mileage is spread out right. a little bit more. Right, and, and you have some time to breathe and also enjoy... Um, enjoy the terrain you will so we start in Havana so you will be riding through starting in the city so doing a lot of you know I, I don't want to say sightseeing but you will be riding starting in Havana so it's a big city and then you have the time to enjoy the views and, and really if you want to take it a little bit slow and make it your own goal just to finish each one of the stages and enjoy um, the different terrains, you can do that, you know? There's been, um, you know, Cuba's so close to America and yet it's been so far for a very long time. So if a mountain biker were to go to Cuba, what do you think they would be most surprised about when they, when they visit there? I think the, the one thing that is very well known, I, I believe, to Americans is that uh, the, the Cuban culture as a whole. I think they will be, however, surprised um, to, to see all the different details that that involves. Um, from a cyclist uh, perspective, from seeing how um, Cubans maintain a bike, how everything operates in a totally different um way that we're used to here in America will be something um, interesting to see. Um, but at the end of the day, we I always say that we're like two, um, like when siblings um, fight, they always have to get back together and, and be friends again because at the end of the day, we're neighboring countries and we have histories that also tie us together. Uh, whether that you want to say that is positive or negative, we are bound for life because we're so close. So I think they, Americans will be surprised um, to look at the details of also how much a lot of the American culture, uh, cultural icons like the cars and certain objects that represent um, the American history, like the cars, the forts from, you know, the 1940s and 50s are so preserved. And, uh, and Cubans love American music and uh, uh, American things in general. So I think they will, they will, you know, really enjoy that. Do the locals, do Cubanos, do they ride bikes a lot? That we, it, is, it, is, um, it is our number one means of transportation in Cuba. So I always say this, in Cuba you learn how to uh, walk and then how to ride, and that happens right away. Because we do get from one place to the other in our bikes. Just like in America, you have a car uh, per each individual in the house that you know it's allowed to ride in Cuba we have a bicycle per person in the house 
Um, I won't be sharing my bike with my mom. We have to go to different places. So we do have a lot of bicycles in a daily basics, but we also have great teams. I mean, last year in the Titan Tropic Cuba, the women that won um, in the women division, it's a, it's a Cuban. Thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate it and we're so glad that our countries are closer together yeah. because it means we can do mountain biking yes, together. Yes, and if you need more information, you can just go straight to uh, titantropic.com. Okay. Just click on the English button, <laughs> and you will get all your information in English. Okay? Gracias. Por nada. Again, that was uh, Natasha Ginocchio of Titan Tropic Mountain Bike Stage Race. The stages, guys, cover west, the western quarter of Cuba, so from Havana West. 3100 bucks includes airfare from Miami, but does not include getting your bike to Cuba. Fee also includes accommodations, luggage, bike transfer between stages, meals, race support, uh, obviously registration and timekeeping. There's about eight categories to choose from, including some team categories. The Race Bible does suggest that racers uh, get their shots beforehand. Hepatitis, tetanus, diphtheria. Uh, it also says to bring insect repellent and something for an upset stomach. It does look tough, by the way, guys. If you go to the site, the, she's not kidding. There mm. is mud. There is humidity. There is walking involved. So not a, a jaunt around Cuba. You'll, you'll, you'll struggle. You'll, you'll work for this one. But, man, a chance to ride in Cuba, that would be something else. Yeah. That sounds intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> really intriguing. Uh, let's get into our new segment now, boys. Uh, something that we, for a, a lack of a better title, are tentatively calling this week's picks. Now, one of our listeners, Dylan, tweeted us a suggestion for this part of the show, a title, that is. Dylan suggested pace line picks. Not bad, huh? That's a pretty good one. Oh, yeah, uh, Dylan, that works. Yeah, Dylan, Dylan there pulling one out of the alliteration playbook uh, that I work <laughs> from, uh, Radio 101. Uh, so for you, Dylan, show 36, Pace Line Picks, and we will start with our man, Fatty. All right. For me, Compass Cycles is uh, my pick. These guys, uh, Jan Heine, who is well-known to anyone who has been uh, studying and learning about uh, tire width and inflation and pressure, he has his own company for tires, and I just bought my first set of Compass Cycle tires uh, for my wife's uh, Roubaix. I've put 26-millimeter tires, on, uh, which are about as wide as you can put on a previous generation Roubaix, and some Vittoria latex tubes, and have changed the pressure that I am putting her uh, in, in her tires to 70 uh, down from, you know, we've been riding at, you know, 90 for her for a long time. And it has made a bigger difference to her riding and her comfort than a whole new bike ever would. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty amazing. So are they in Washington Compass? Yes, that's right. I think they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jan's, Jan's in the greater Seattle area and the tires for Compass are produced by Panaracer. Right. Uh, so Really good quality stuff. Good tires. Um, you know, so just bought my first pair online. Uh, I have more to talk about as far as Compass goes, uh, perhaps in another section uh, in another episode. Okay. Paceline picks Patrick. That's alliteration. 
<laughs> uh, my pick this weekend goes to a former uh, domestic pro, Tom Pren, uh, who has been in the industry as a product uh, product manager, product designer, uh, company uh, manager. And he's got a new company that he has launched called Arsenal Cycling. And he's got a Kickstarter for synchronized wireless bicycle lights. So you can put several blinkies on you and your, uh, you know, on yourself and your bike. And when you turn them on, uh, they will synchronize so that they blink in concert so that you can be essentially a blinking constellation of a bicycle. Um, and the neuroscience that backs this up is, is pretty hard and well-established. Uh, I learned about it as an undergraduate 30 odd years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad to see him doing this. It's a genius project, uh, but it's on Kickstarter. It's got nine days to go and he's only a little over halfway to his goal. Um, I never, ever go out of my way to endorse Kickstarters, but this is one that I'd really like to see take off. He's doing great work here, and it, it deserves to see its way to market. So here's an idea. What if you bought enough to put on everyone in a group ride at night? Could Oh, my gosh. Could, that would could really you be all be blinking together? I mean, does is it work? Is the wireless range enough so that a group of 20 riders could be blinking in unison because that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if they would effectively daisy chain themselves across the Peloton. Um, that that's interesting. That would make for a great film. Oh, uh, yeah. Anybody got a drone handy? <laughs> Look for a link on our, um, on RKP for that Kickstarter program under the show links for this edition of the Paceline podcast. We'll, we'll direct people there. Yeah. Sounds like a good one. Uh, mine <laughs> Um, you know, guys, I'm not a video guy. I don't need to like watch videos on my own rides or what have you, but I get it. I understand the, the interest in this and hence we have companies like GoPro. Well, they have the new GoPro Hero 5 and it's pretty damn cool. It responds to voice commands. You can turn it on. You can take a picture or a video just by saying GoPro, begin video or GoPro, turn off or turn on or what have you. So that's a nice feature, but the best feature incorporates the camera's ability to tag videos. You know, when you rail a turn or bunny hop a hazard or clean a rock garden. With the Hero 5, you can use voice commands to tag those moments. And the command is an absolute classic. To tag a video, just say, oh shit. (laughs) And, And the Hero 5 will mark it. Yes, your oh shit moments can now become instant highlights. Record, cuss, post, Share with friends. You know, I think probably like 90% of my rides with friends would be tagged. (laughs) 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 You'd be looking for moments that aren't tagged. (laughs) Oh, shit. We're out of show, guys. Um, (laughs) So we'll wrap it up here. Fatty, Fat Cyclist, what are the happenings on your site? Uh, You know, I am doing a fundraiser right now. For a favorite charity of mine, Camp Kesem, which provides free camps to kids of parents who have been through or are going through cancer. Gives them a free week at a great camp during the summer to just be a kid and stop worrying about their parent. 
my twins have been for the last five years, and it has made a huge difference in their self-confidence and their happiness, and so I'm very proud to be supporting Camp Kesem. Uh, I am doing the 100 miles of nowhere. Uh, I think this is year number nine. I've been doing 100 miles of nowhere. For $40, you get a chance to ride 100 miles on your rollers or around the block or make up a ridiculous 100-mile route of your own choosing. The only rule is it has to be in a really small space. We want this to be, you know, a ride that goes nowhere. Pay 40 bucks. All profits go to Camp Kesem. You'll get a great T-shirt. You'll find more information at fatcyclist.com. Cool. We'll provide a link to that as well. Patrick, the flow of interbike info just keeps coming at redkiteprayer.com. Hopefully, I'm down to two posts to go. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah? Yeah, I've got other stuff I want to get on to. Anything, anything standing out right now that you've got in reserve? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just about to do my post where I discuss Blue Bicycles. Uh, yes. Blue had some financial challenges, we'll say. You know, went under... Um, you know, weren't able to deliver bikes for a while. The company has been reborn. It's owned by the factory now that was producing its bikes previously. You know, all the, all the old ideas behind Blue are still there. Uh, what's different now is that to really get themselves reestablished in the market, they're being ultra aggressive. And that doesn't mean that they've got a fleet of 4,000 sales reps flooding the market, going into bike shops everywhere. It means that they've made their pricing so incredible that people are going to go to bike shops and say, hey, I, I want to buy a blue. Yeah. Um, the pricing on their stuff is just stunning. So uh, I'm about to do my coverage on them, and then I'm going to be reviewing one of their bikes coming up uh, in fairly short order. Cool. Looking forward to it. They're yeah. a very exciting brand right now. Yeah, and they have one of the hottest uh, new TT bikes out, the Triad Elite SL. That's pretty damn cool, too. They just popped out with that at Interbike. Uh, go to redkiteprayer.com to get more on this podcast. Show notes and links. Leave a word or two in the comment section. Paceline can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and follow the show on Twitter at Paceline Podcast. That's it. We're done. Go for a ride. Be nice to each other and be safe, everyone. Well, that flies dead now. Get out all your hammers, kids. Um... <laughs> <laughs>